Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where sales teams treat inbound leads like the back-to-school scramble for the best locker. May the odds be ever in your favor. Well, I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Well, it is that time of year again, back to school. A lot of that's been happening around here this week. You know, it's a familiar time that's mixed, I'd say, with kind of, you know, bright-eyed optimism, fresh start and all, and the stomach-churning fear of the unknown. You know, whether it's a child stepping into a new grade or being promoted, maybe a new school, or a young adult venturing off to college. A number of our friends have been dropping their kids off at college this week. There is definitely a thrilling yet terrifying blend of emotions that's uh, almost tangible in the air. Yeah, and a lot more traffic as well, if you haven't noticed that. You know, how was the first day of school for you? You know, did you look forward to it? Did you dread it? Maybe somewhere in the middle? You know, I I never really liked it myself. I always kind of felt, you know, awkward. You know, I haven't seen people over the summer. You know, am I going to fit in? Will people like me? I mean, the only thing that made it better as I got older was sports. I, I played everything growing up. And of course, football was and is just huge in Texas. And football practice always started a few weeks before school. So that made the first day not really a first day because I already had teammates and, you know, it made it a little bit better later on. You know, I think sales is kind of like that first day of school too. Especially if sales isn't your background. Maybe if you're an engineer or on the development side and a founder that, uh, you know, sales just kind of fallen in your lap. And you might already be thinking like, like, it's totally like the first day of school. You know, it's awkward. I don't know these people. You know, are they a fit? Are they going to buy? Will they like my solution? Will they like me? But let's flip that around for a minute. Have you ever thought that buying a mission critical SaaS is kind of like the first day of school for the buyer also. You know, buyers have those same thoughts and most of them, you know, don't really know what they're doing and they very much want to appear like they do know what they're doing. They, they want to feel competent. They want to look competent. They want to come across that way. Now, I remember our first day of school in college and, and I decided that this year I was going to embrace the new year, be confident. You know, I've got this positive attitude goes a long way. And the day was, was fantastic. You know, first class talking to people, making friends. I mean, that was, you know, talking to strangers is not something that it just comes naturally, which surprises a lot of people. But, you know, getting out of my comfort zone, done. First class, nailed it. Second class, same thing. Professor came in, got started, jumped right in. I mean, no introductions, not much of anything. And uh, very quickly, I learned that I am in a master's level physics class instead of the freshman biology class I'm supposed to be in. And uh, then he goes, you know, if anyone is dumb enough to have wandered in here by mistake and isn't supposed to be here, now is your chance to go. 
and uh, I didn't move a muscle. <laughs> I was not going to move anywhere and, and look dumb. And, you know, your ideal prospects can, can feel that way too. Because 99.9% of them are not professional software buyers. You know, they want to do well. They want to get the right solution. They want to solve a problem. And, you know, they don't want to be taken advantage of. And most of us want that exact same thing for our clients. I mean, that's the experience we want to deliver. But it's hard because they have to be vulnerable. They have to walk into that, that classroom and hope that they're in the right place and with all these strange people. And, you know, they don't want to feel vulnerable or uncomfortable. And engaging with sales can feel a bit risky. And I'm convinced that's why buyers get far, far, far into their evaluation process before they ever raise their hands. Information is so available now. And they want to do as much as possible to get educated on the front end and get on a level playing field with the the salespeople before engaging because they don't want to feel like they don't want to feel dumb. They don't want to feel vulnerable. They don't want to feel like they could be taken advantage of because they're educated now. They they know the questions to ask. They they you know, really feel confident. And so we, as marketers, we want to make sure we put that information in their hands so they do feel confident. But then when they do reach out to sales and even before they do, it's our job to curate an experience that makes them feel confident, makes them feel validated, makes them feel like they're in the right place, not dumb or inadequate or wandering into the wrong room. And when we do that, we create safety. We increase the no like, and trust factor. And when we're on the same team, sales is easy. And today's guest is going to help us do that and get on the same team and make sure we do curate that experience for our prospects so that we all feel really, really good about the entire sales experience. Well, if you want to turn your sales process into an awesome buying experience, check out today's sponsor, and that is the book Small Fish Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business That Swims Circles Around Competitors. So, you know, what in the world can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey with time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. So pick up the print, ebook, or audio today, smallfishbigpond.com, Amazon, your favorite bookstore. If you've been around a while, you know all book profits go to charity. Always have. Uh, we were in Hawaii the, the last few weeks and came home last week, and I'm sure you've seen the, the fires in Maui. Uh, total devastation. I mean, heavily populated, busy area. Lots of people call it home uh, right there in, in Lahaina and, uh, and just completely devastated uh, in that community. Uh, if you want to help, check out the Hawaiian Community Foundation. It's uh, hawaiicommunityfoundation.org or the Red Cross. Both are on site and very involved in the day-to-day relief efforts, along with uh, a number of private things that are going on right now. Uh, all profits for August will go to Maui Relief. So all book profits uh, will go to Maui for all of August, uh, in addition to, to what we're already giving and doing. And so, you know, donate, partner with us in that and, and, and definitely pray for the, the people over there right now. It is just, it is crazy, crazy uh, what's going on, just the, the devastation. Really appreciate you doing that. 
My guest on Tuesday was Casey Golden, founder and CEO at LuxLock, an e-commerce SaaS for luxury brands. Casey is doing the impossible and absolutely killing it. In the luxury space, e-commerce is like a dirty word. Uh, But she is doing that in a high-touch, high-personal connection industry. She helps her brand clients bring that in-store luxury buying experience to their customer wherever they are and in-store. So I love seeing founders do the impossible and succeed and do it really, really well. And then last week, our two episodes, both Tuesday and Thursday, we had 12 founder interviews plus nine previous guests gave their number one tip for SaaS founders and uh, celebrating our 100th episodes, uh, both 99 and 100, depending on how you count it. Uh, So both of those, fantastic. If you missed any of those three episodes, go back and check them out. Lots of great stuff in there. My current guest this week is Harry Spade. He is a master of complex sales with over 20 years experience in hyper-competitive sales environments. Anybody feel like they're in a hyper-competitive sales environment but me? Yeah, I bet. Yeah, we're all in that. Well, Harry has sold and led teams to tens of millions in sales. He's a former missionary and has a unique perspective on how to sell without being pushy. Sound good? He consults and trains businesses who want to step up their sales game so that they can thrive. He's the author of Selling with Dignity and the host of the Sales Made Easy podcast. Sales Made Easy sounds pretty good to me. Welcome, Harry Spate. Hey, Harry, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, what is a good word? So great to be here. Thanks for having me on your platform and your show today. We had a great conversation um, just a little while ago about uh, influence and sales and kind of the the difference there. Uh, How do you see that as as different today in maybe marketing and creating influence or you have influencers in the marketplace and uh, and then driving revenue? Yeah. uh, You know, the thing is uh, sales unfortunately, is left behind a little bit as far as the modern world is concerned. (laughs) So many are still leading with product, how great their company is, how great their products are, and they're really missing an opportunity. You know, people are looking for influencers, and you don't have to be Gary Vaynerchuk. You don't have to be Alex Hormozzi. You can have your crew, your people that love you. And if it's a few hundred or a few thousand, you can help educate those people, provide value for them and get clients for life instead of leading with what your product is or always asking for an order or a call to action. And people just get tired of that and say, you know, Harry's just trying to sell his stuff again. So I'm going to tune him out. So education and providing value, a little humor is, is a real opportunity to grow a tribe and eventually have those people buy from you. So tell me about your background in sales. How did you get started? And what did your journey look like to, to get to where you are now selling with dignity? Yeah, so I have a pretty different background for most people who got into sales. I used to do mission work. So my wife and I spent a number of years. I had a little janitorial business. I I wasn't really an entrepreneur, but I had a little business that I ran. And then we did mission work. We ended up traveling to a few different countries and spent a couple of years in the Dominican Republic. And then... She asked something about having kids. And I went, what? And so (laughs) I realized then I needed to get some kind of income again. And I didn't want to go back to having a janitorial business. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I felt like I wanted to get into the corporate environment kind of as a challenge because I'm not college educated. I was in my mid thirties and I went, can I do that? And eventually I got, I landed a job selling technology of all things. And just to give you the dichotomy, how different that was, Jeff, I turned computers off in the mid nineties with the button. I didn't know there was a way to shut them down. I didn't know anything <laughs> about programs, software. Wow. It was crazy. And here I was selling technology, which were roughly $50,000 color printers to marketing and advertising companies. And they're using Adobe, you know, uh, Quark Express. All these applications, I'm sitting there on calls wondering, what are these? It's like learning Spanish, right? It was a completely new language for me. And so I took my servant mindset from the mission field, started applying it and serving others, and then my career took off. That's awesome. It's interesting that you say that because I think technology can be somewhat of a foreign language or, you know, for, for somebody that's not technical. And I think the same thing is true. Sales and marketing can be like a foreign language to someone who is technical and that's not their expertise. So how do we bring those together so that we're, we're really speaking the same language? How do you learn that? Yeah, I, I, it's like anything. First of all, you have to have an open mind to it. And I think a big challenge for many is they start out saying they're no good at sales. I hear it all the time. People say, technical people, well, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson. All the time, I hear that too. Right? So you just sold yourself, is what I say. So <laughs> now we've got to work against the grain. If your mind is telling you that you're not good at something or you're not something, then how can you possibly be something along those lines, right? If you say, I'm not a good father or I'm not a good spouse, that's pretty self-defeating. So same is true in sales. You have to have an open mind that I can do this. And it doesn't mean you have to become a phone calling machine that you're going to make 200 calls a day. If you just make incremental progress, right? Move the needle, that 1% improvement where you start learning. It's like, look, maybe I can tell others something valuable. And I see this with technology professionals all the time. They say things like, well, I do IT. I do managed services. I do this. It's like, how about provide a little value to the person you're talking to? Is there something that's new going on in the field? Having a conversation, people look at you as a subject matter expert instead of just a tech geek, for instance, right? So that that's a start. It's just just mindset, say, look, I can do this. I can make a little bit of progress. And then how can I provide value to the people I speak with? And you're going to make headway. What's your thought? Now, on you that? have a, well, I think that that's exactly right. Is uh, it, It's one step at a time. It's not giant leap. Nobody wakes up and is a born salesperson. Right. Actually, maybe they are born because <laughs> I we, know that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Babies definitely, you know, sell us on, um, you know, what they need exactly. and, and get us to take action. But, uh, you know, later in life, maybe, you know, you don't just wake up and, and say, I'm the greatest salesman in the world, but it, it is incremental. And it, it's that mindset is the willingness to try the willingness to go out there and fail the willingness to, to do it. 
Uh, you have a, a note on your uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, kind of two, two different mindsets. One, selling is hard, selling is a grind, or selling is having conversations and helping people. And, uh, and you know, which is, which is better? And I think that, that's an obvious answer, but, but tell me about that. And how do you make that shift from this is a grind to, no, this is selling is just having conversations and helping people? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you just, you just hit the nail so, so solidly on that one. I look at that, that grind thing and I say it's the same thing as saying you're terrible at something. If you're straining to do something, and it, you're going completely against what you believe in, people are going to pick up on it. You know, there's this thing called emotional intelligence. And if you think you're hiding how much you hate something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like and people pick up on it and they'll say, well, what's up with you? And you're going to say, well, uh, how did you know? <laughs> right. Because you, right, people right. pick up on those micro expressions on your face your nervousness, there, there, there's all kinds of things going on. So again, that goes back to the mindset and you say, just what well, I love what you said, no one was born a salesperson, then you realized it immediately. And so the good side of sales is it can be very natural, all the way from that coming out of the womb to being a little toddler, to being a little... Uh, kid that's five or six years old learning to negotiate with your parents i'm not talking about the kids that are throwing tantrums my kids are like that that's not the type of selling right (laughs) but you get you can see that it can be natural so this whole thing about you know being a strong closer this is where a lot of people think that sales is it's like well i've got to close for the business and so it's very unnatural and uncomfortable But if you go in saying, I'm going to have conversations with people, find out what they need, find out what's important to them, find ways to serve them. Yeah, there's a good chance they might like me if I do that. (laughs) And then they will ask about me and they'll ask about how I serve. But if they don't ask, that's okay because the laws of reciprocation, I'm a big believer of that. If you do the right things, you serve others, you will get your payment. It may not come from that person, but it will come from somewhere else. And that's just the way it is in sales. People say it all the time. It's like, well, this one just fell out of the sky. I have no idea. It's like, well, because you've done a lot of other things, right? That good luck happens to people who are putting in the effort. So this whole disconnect about selling being a grind versus having a conversation, something that's enjoyable. It's, it's a huge difference maker. So tell me about selling with dignity. What, what is that? Where did the concept come from? Yes. When I was doing like before I started doing very well in sales, Jeff, I really was doing very terribly. And in fact, in, a corporate environment when salespeople are starting out and they're doing terribly, management and ownership get nervous. Did they make the right hire? Right. And I was several months into it and I was putting up a lot of goose eggs. And, you know, I, had, I was in the sales bullpen, zeros every day, every week, and then it was month after month of zeros. And so finally, 
I got a break, but I was doing the right things, right? But I got a break and started to sell. And from that point on, so the, what was going on in my mind throughout this whole thing was I was actually written up. I was I was on a pip, which I didn't know. I found this letter I kept <laughs> from 25 years ago that said, like, uh, you know, we're going to try to help you to do this. I signed the letter and all this. So I was doing really poorly. But then I got this break and I realized it's like I can just just serve people. I can be and I was reading a lot at the time various authors, the greatest salesman in the world comes to mind, Tom Hopkins, Brian Tracy. And someone said something along the lines of, picture yourself doing the best you can at something where you're really good at it, and that will be your separator. And I had things going for me. I was thinking of saying, well, I can speak Spanish. There's not a lot of people in sales I can speak Spanish. I also use the I can serve. I can outserve anybody. I'm not going to be one of those sales guys. That's all about me. And so over the years, as I got into sales leadership, I was still, you know, I experimented with not being a servant leader. <laughs> that didn't work well. You know, when I was the barking order sales manager for a few weeks, few months, maybe that was just not good. When I went back to serving people, as I always go back to my roots, things turned out very well. And I became a, you know, a very decent sales leader along the way. So I thought as COVID was going on, and I talked about writing a book, combining the mission field to sales and to the corporate. And I talked about this to my friends for like 10 years. And COVID hit. And I had this, I was just doing a lot of self-work uh, with Think and Grow Rich. And uh, one of those ideas hit me and it was the idea of the book. And I was like, you know, now's the time because it, it was clear when I was reading Think and Grow Rich that that was a message I needed to pay attention to. And so I did. And I thought, you know, I can serve the people who are not salesy who are not the type A personalities that are not, you know, super hungry, super aggressive. I'm going to go and help the people that are more like me that just want to serve people and grow their business. And I think there'll be some people that will appreciate that. So that was really the whole, you know, process of that book coming into existence. I love that, that, that meshing of mission and business. Um, how did that come about for you? How did you take those those two worlds and and bring them together into one? Yeah, great question. So I think you've got to have a big picture mindset. And it, that just gave me the chills, that question. So it brought me back to 2008, 2009, when the economy was just, I was in Washington, D.C. I was leading a sales team for a Fortune 500 company. And the economy was just, Everything was getting shut down. At the end of 2008, Obama was just coming into office. You know, Lehman Brothers, you name the banks. It was just, it was not a pretty picture. So government started to shut down. Nonprofits, which DC was filled with, started to shut down. And we were talking to my sales, the sales team is like, what are we going to do? And it was like, look, we drive the economy. 
right? We're not going to sit back. We drive the economy. It's like, who are we? We're like, you know, eight, 10 people, whatever the number was. (laughs) But I compared, I tied that into we sell stuff. We help people move, right? We help generate revenue. There are jobs behind us, technician support, administration, leasing partners, people in banks. This is this is not just us sucking at sales, right? It, it, that's not even an option. We've got lives on the line. So we drive right. the freaking U.S. economy. That was really, that's what the <laughs> message was. And uh, we got fired up. And I'm telling you, we just had a killer year in 2009 that was just the complete opposite of what a lot of companies faced. That's amazing. It was. And, and just it's that, really that great story. Shift. Yeah. I mean, it was a great question. And it was. It was that shift because you had to – I mean, people follow the news. And like you and I were chatting earlier. It's like, well, how are you doing so well and with a shaky economy? And I loved your answer. It's like there's always shakiness, right? <laughs> forward, <laughs> sideways, backwards, whatever. You have to make do. And that's really, I think, was my first – real time in a very shaky economy that we just said the heck with this let's just make it happen that's really good i think that that's true is is if you look for problems you're going to find them and it doesn't matter you know you know if the the macro economy is great or or terrible you're going to find that if you look for opportunities i guarantee you'll find them and again it doesn't matter what what happens on the macro level there are opportunities there and when you can find those and you're looking for them you can you can seize those opportunities for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about the trillions of dollars that make up the economy. Trillions, right? It's like, isn't there enough for me in there? You know, of course. Right? We don't have to go think dig, you know, find a cave to live in and think that, you know, we're not going to make any money because with that kind of money that's being spent, you just have to find your niche and find your people and you know, if you do the work, even if you struggle a little bit in the economic times, when it comes out, you have done so much work during that time and people start calling you. It's like, hey, I'm ready now. Right. Because now they have a little more confidence because the economy, they, they saw something in the news that said, oh, the economy is now better. Right? <laughs> so that's the way some people live. Right. So. Well, a question I get a lot from founders, especially technical founders, that maybe sales and marketing is not you know, their their background, is they get to the point where they're ready to hire a VP of sales or sales reps, and the, the question is, you know, how do I do that? You know, do I hire a rep first? Do I hire like a VP first? Um, what does that first hire look like? And then how do I build that into a high performing sales team? Yeah, and I think that's a, uh, a th- you have to figure out for the founder: are they is that are you the founder sales minded at all? Because you have to lead somebody. And if you can't lead, if you're just going to shut yourself in the office and just put yourself in front of the computer and say, I'm technical and that's all I am, then you need to, you need to find a guy or a gal that can lead and build a team and start selling. And it's, it's a difficult challenge, but some people, like, I think with the way the situation is now with the outbound calling, there are so many companies that do calls 
and nurture that if you find a sales leader that can build a team but can also run appointments and ideally has some experience with technology and doing this before um because it's not easy but you've got right. to find i mean the, the the people are out there right it's you know sometimes we sell ourselves it's like oh it's so hard to find nobody wants to work and we do all these all or nothing things like nobody wants to work nobody wants to do this <laughs> and then right. again that's self-defeating all you need is one person so you may have to interview a lot of people but you want to find the person that's going to help build a team, can run sales calls, and maybe spend a little money on a company that can nurture and help develop a funnel so that when the person, that person you hire can bring someone on, there's now a funnel of people that are interested that you can start having more meetings with. That would be my strategy. Thoughts? I think that that's a really good first step, and and finding the the one uh, before you start thinking too big, and I need to hire five or ten. Oh, yeah. uh, but it, it's really having that the process that is down and repeatable, something that's shared. But I think you're, the most important thing there is is if it's not you that's going to lead that, then having a co-founder, having somebody else that can can really lead that that sales effort is super important uh, because throwing people at, at problems doesn't work, right? Like hiring a salesperson does not generate sales. And exactly. I think that's, that's a big misconception. Yeah. And, you know, especially, I mean, salespeople typically want some accountability. You know, if you, I mean, <laughs> you, you just say, go sell stuff and bring me back to business because I hired you now. It's just, <laughs> sorry. It just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I've seen it a lot of times. Yeah. That, that that's kind of the process. Yeah, exactly. It's been, I mean, I've heard of people just hire five or six people, fire them after all, all of them after five or six months and start all over again. And I mean, the right. money that you're just throwing down the drain for that. And it's just like, there's, there's better ways of doing that, that, and you know, you got to look in the mirror, right? If you, if you think people can, I mean, they're not entrepreneurial salespeople. They can be entrepreneurial, but if they're looking for a paycheck, that's not really entrepreneurial, right? That's, that's a big difference. So if you're just, you know, you, you, um, we're going to give you a draw, maybe a little ramp up time. But if the person says, well, I need a higher salary. Well, okay. That's telling you they're not entrepreneurial. So they don't think like you. So if you're going to carry somebody, then you need to lead them. Are you following the logic here? Yes. Right? So yes. Th there's a lot of signs going on in the way that you're hiring a person. If someone wants a piece of the action, that tells me that they're entrepreneurial. If someone says, look, I need a you know, $120,000 salary, then that tells me they're going to really need leadership. <laughs> and not that <laughs> entrepreneurs don't need leadership, but it's like... Some people just are not making good use of the day. So you have to have this accountability and say, what's going on today? Where, where are your meetings? Who are you meeting with? And then what else are you doing? Right. And so you have these quick calls and conversations. And, you know, if people, if you don't like the answers that uh, I got news, that doesn't change. Right. 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 
So yeah, you gotta gotta count the loss early. Unfortunately, when you realize that the person is looking for something to do and there's so much to do, um, you gotta rethink that one. So how do you compete if you're not offering the the giant salaries and, and those kinds of things to salespeople? How do you compete and really find great people in the market? Well, you know, shockingly, Jeff, salespeople are not always about money. They want to be frequently, they want to be part of a team. And, you know, lose, not you, but people who have this idea that salespeople are all these egotistical, I want to be the top dog, I want to make millions of dollars. Now, some of the best salespeople are just going to be, you know, give me the number, give me $80,000. I'm going to work hard every day. I'm going to bring my lunch pail to work. I'm going to make the calls. I love those people, right? Because I can count on them. They're going to work. They're not going to complain a lot. And, you know, they're, they're maybe never be the quarter million dollar person, but there's what you need, right? You need the revenue that these types of people bring in. So uh, I don't necessarily say look for the pretty, you know, whatever, the, the flamboyance, the high maintenance people, that are just going to complain if things don't go perfectly. So you, when you're building a team, recognize that there are some people that are like that will like team. Some, I mean, people work. No offense, but people work at Seven Eleven, right? People work right. in a lot of places where the pay is not great. And some of those, not that I'm saying that's going to be your pool of candidates, but there is great people in grocery stores. There's 100%. great people in restaurants. And so when you're out and about and you're looking at a person and say, man, I like the way this person is treating me. I'm going to say, have you ever thought about an opportunity in sales? And people will, and those people will say, no, I mean, I don't think I'd be very good at sales. Well, you know, you say, <laughs> right, you're, you're, right. you're actually pretty good at what you're doing. And you're the type of person that I think could do very well in sales because of this and that, right? The way you greet people the way you show up, you've got skills. And if you want to talk more about it, here's my number, right? Let's meet for coffee. And when you're doing that, you're going to find people that you may not have envisioned uh, being part of your team. And then, uh, you know, these people work hard because, you know, making $40,000 in a restaurant, unless you're working in a high-end restaurant, but somewhere around there, Versus making 70, 80, 100, you know, it changes their lives. And those people work yes. hard. What's your thoughts on that? I see a lot of nodding. Well, I, I love that. And I, I've actually recruited that way uh, a number of times. I mean, I'm always on the lookout for great people. Yeah. And then if I find a great person, now it's time to figure out where do they fit in the organization? Yeah. Yeah. You know, is it sales? Is it client success? But you have somebody that takes great care of you. That provides outstanding service, no matter what it is. If it's at a, a restaurant, that, that can be a great opportunity. If it's somebody that is just loving life and, and doing great in retail, and uh, and you know that's the kind of person that I want. So it's really finding those gems and always being on the lookout for them and say, "Hey, I, I like that." You know, would would you like to do something different? Yeah. And sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, or the people that are you know doing demos or samples or or selling you you know wireless in the grocery store exactly you know it, it's those kinds of things and you know they're they're having those conversations and you're really good at this now how would you like to up your game and sell something at at, at a bigger level yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And if you have a little story to tell, right, along the way of helping, because recruiting is not easy. Re recruiting is sales. Yes. Right? So having these conversations, like in sales, having a good story about how someone you know that was in the restaurant industry that never thought they'd be cut out for sales is now making six figures and they've been in sales for 20 years, right? It's changed their life, yes. right? And this is the thing where you go from the service industry to where you're now making six figures. I mean, world, I mean, you're in a completely different lifestyle that yes. right now can have a, you know, change the whole trajectory of a future family too, right? So it's a lot of good things that you can, and having these stories, like, who do I know that's done this, right? But, <laughs> you know, people, entrepreneurs, you eat out a lot. I'm telling you, there are people that you're, you're walking by, especially if you find someone who is in management in a restaurant, yes. right? Where they're a real go-getter and they're working 80 hours a week and they're doing nothing but turnover and they've got this great personality. It's like, have you ever thought about doing something different? <laughs> you know, that might be sales related where you're working regular hours, you know, eight to six or something, eight, and you throw out a 10 hour thing. But, you know, it's just, it's funny because they're like, oh, no, because I work 80 hours a week, right? Right. I'd never have time to go even look for something like that. So, well, you don't have to. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And you, you yeah, have, those you are know, some of the best candidates as well, because you're, you're really building loyalty in there because you, you are, you're changing their lives and, and they may be around for, you know, decades, could be years, could move on and do other things. I've, I've had people that do that and they work five years and then they go start their own company. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's, it's, it's absolutely life changing. I think that's one of the most gratifying things about being an entrepreneur is changing lives for clients, changing lives for employees you know, seeing a trajectory, because that's kind of my story as well, you know, being on a trajectory and somebody stepping in and, and giving me an opportunity that completely changed my life, changed my complete life trajectory. And to be able to pass that on is, uh, is so fulfilling. Oh, my goodness, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, you reminded me of so much here of that. But yes, I totally agree. I mean, I can think of a woman that came out of the restaurant business probably 15, 13, 15 years ago. I'm not with that company anymore, obviously, but she's still there. You know, I hired her in sales. She was, you know, we didn't have the patience like you need, right? It was really things were changing back in that era of where salespeople were becoming less and less valuable. Google was becoming, you know, where the sales cycle was. At one point, salespeople were viewed as messengers and Buyers would look at salespeople bringing value is like, what's the latest? Well, eventually when that goes out, it's difficult to get appointments because you know, people would just say, I'm not in the market. Well, this person right. was uh, came out of the restaurant. She did a great job. And we just said, you know what? She's really not great in sales because she can't ask for the order. She just She doesn't feel good about the pricing, but she is just so good, so smart. So service-minded, I asked, I said, can we put her in the service department? And so they said, yes. So I asked her, I says, what do you think about going over? She's still there. She's now a project manager. You know, this is, 
again, it's changed her life from working yeah. a gazillion hours to having a normal life and being part of a team and, you know, helping companies with technology. So yeah, a lot of cool things that happen with that. I think there's a lot of crossover between service and sales. And, you know, is that kind of how you you teach sales or uh, how you kind of the, the process? I just had to think about that for a second because where I came from, it was, uh, <laughs> it was really uh, confrontational because people would look at, on the service side of things, people would look at salespeople as over-promising, under-delivering, yes. lying to get the deals, and so forth, right? Because they, they believed that salespeople were crooks and whatever, right? All of the things that are the bad thoughts about salespeople, a lot of these service people believed it. But then they would find the good ones that they trusted and funnel leads to them and say, well, you're one of the good ones. I don't believe all salespeople are bad. I believe that some of them will take shortcuts. But in general, salespeople, they have to be honest or they're going to be caught. Right. And if right. the ones, the dishonest ones get found out and they, they move on pretty quickly. So. To answer that question, I think, you know, you want to try to build that relationship between sales and service because they can feed each other, right? When you get good on the service side of things where now the service folks can spot out opportunities because the salesperson will say things like, hey, if you see this, I've got something for you, right? If you see this, let me know. And, you know, here's a you know gift certificate for a great restaurant or something. And uh, that goes a long way when you can get that kind of synergy going. So I suggest getting people in meetings together and, you know, whatever, right? Where they're having conversations together versus sales is on one side of the room, service is on the other, and they don't talk. That's uh, not healthy. That's not giving you the best bang for your dollar, I think. See that in a lot of bigger organizations where there are true silos, yeah. and uh, and and you're right, just a bunch of rocks being thrown back and forth between uh, service and sales. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's just just because I mean, people are different, right? I always tell salespeople that these people, when you treat them right, they will be money for you, right? If you step all over them and you know you throw them under the bus, like. This is the thing that you got to own everything you do and you just take the blame. You take, and this is true in life. It's true in parenting. It's true in leadership. You just got to take responsibility and you can't throw someone else under the bus. And if it's your team, it's your client is going to see that you're self-protecting and you're complaining about someone on your team. That's not good. Right. So you as a salesperson, as a leader, you just got to take responsibility and say, we'll do better. I'll, we'll fix it. We'll do better and just do better. Right. But when you start blaming, right. unfortunately, that's going to cause conflict and that's not good. So when you hire a sales team, a lot of times you'll, you'll bring in, you know, one rep, two reps, and then, you know, start building out from there. And then you know, ultimately you do need leadership. Sometimes leadership comes from inside, sometimes outside. 
but it seems like a lot of times it's the the top salesperson is the one that gets tagged as the leader, but often the salesperson that's really good does not make a great sales leader, sales manager. Yeah. Um, yeah, Why is that? And and how can you make that a good transition? Yeah. um, I have been there. And when I first got into sales leadership, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought everyone was like me. I thought, you know, you, as top performer, everybody wanted to be a top performer. I was like, what are you doing? Was, you know, I'm yelling at people, right? It's just not, <laughs> it's not my personality. It was just complete chaos and frustration. Eventually, I got trained and I found out that sales leadership is like servant. It can be like servant leadership. You know, it, it can be the same. Like, oh, I'm pretty good at that. I can do that. And sure enough, <laughs> that worked, right? But you have to, you have to invest in coaching because, you know, people don't, let's see, what is the word? They don't know how to teach what comes natural to them, right? You have to be really cognizant of how I, you do this and write things down and then be able to train someone else that most of us who just come out of sales will just say, well, just do what I do. Right. And, right. You know, the person looking at you is like, I don't know how to do what you do. I, I mean, it, so you have to just, you have to coach a ton and you have to coach the leader. They need coaching. And if you can't provide the coaching, you have to find somebody that can and that is going to help that person be successful and their team be successful. Like I'll give you an example, sales meetings, you know, the manager goes around the room and he asks people what they're going to write for business. And then tell me what you're going to write this week. You know, I've seen all this play out many times and people give this ridiculous number of how much business they're going to write. The best months are the first day of the month of all the promises that are made. The end of the month is terrible. And then it's like, what happened? So, right. right. What happened? You said last week you were going to write this. What happened? Why didn't you? Tell us why you didn't do it. Tell us why you didn't do what you said you were going to do. It's like, oh, so let's have morale improve. The beatings and whippings will continue until <laughs> morale improves. So this right. is where you help people. You coach people. You provide value on team meeting. You ask, what's the business looking like? What are the appointments looking like for this week? Where are the challenges? And then you support that versus, you know, berating people because they're not doing their job as good as you would as a superstar salesperson. Right. So that's really a, a challenge, I think. And the more you understand that people need love, nurturing, coaching, and will want to be part of the team, the better off it will be. That's great. So compensation, we talked about it a little bit earlier. How do you structure a comp plan that makes sense, that incentivizes the right things? And yeah, you know, how do you balance you know what I've seen of not wanting to pay salespeople much? Uh, versus uh, really incentivizing them to do great things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say that the more they sell, the more you find ways to pay them, right? So get rid of all caps. I mean, you can always change the comp plan down the road, but in the beginning, you need business. And if it's 50% of the profit, whatever that number is, you go extreme. 
in the beginning because this is how you get excitement, people making a lot of money, but you know, not taking shortcuts, but they've got to feel like, hey, this is a place where I can make a nice living. Now, eventually, you have to you change the comp plan for what your drivers are in business. Like some companies will pay straight commission, everything the same, whatever the number is, right? If it's 10%, if it's 30%, whatever that number is, they pay it all the same. Well, if you're trying to hit drivers like new business or I call it add-on business, but it's or cross-selling or whatever the term is, if that's really a priority, then pay more on that. New business, you can pay a lot on new business, but you got to understand that typically margins are going to be less on new business than cross-selling inside of an account or account-based management where people already know you and trust you. They're not shopping you. It's not like you're ripping people off, but it's it's healthy margins, the way I look at it, healthy profit that's good for everybody. And you've got to just calculate. It's like, okay, so how can I bring excitement to my salespeople? And if you think that you got to ask like who you're hiring, if they're used to making forty or fifty thousand dollars, then you know sixty thousand dollars is a lot, and that's okay. You can find comp plans, you can do something for that. But if you get a top performer that's making six figures and you're squeezing them, I'm not sure I'm answering the question, but you've got to think about how you can make that person happy, how you can get them to six figures fastest so that they stay with you. What's your thought on the way I'm thinking here? Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's really aligning the the goal, the business goal. It's the greatest management principle in the world. It's people do what they're incented to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's making sure that those things are aligned. I think that's where a lot of things go wrong is when there's that misalignment. Yeah. And priorities do change. Yeah. And, pe- and guess what? Salespeople figure out uh, the easiest ways to make money on the comp plan. You better believe it. If there is a loophole, they will find it we and find exploit it and yeah. do a bunch of that. Yeah. It's so funny because, you know, coming from the sales and then doing comp plans, it's like, okay, what loopholes do I have here? Right. <laughs> where, right. You know, here's one is like, oh my goodness, how did we miss that one? Right. It's just, it's funny, but they do find it. But I think like today, there are things like if you have a new division, this company I work with, they have a new division. I keep encouraging, it's like, pay more. Throw money at this stuff. Throw money at contests, appointment settings, meetings. Get that activity going and throw money at it because it's going to build excitement. Otherwise, reps are going to do what they have always done. Right. And so if they're comfortable earning what they earn, which is what they'll do, they get to a certain point and say, this is what I earn, sort of uh, whatever. I forgot the terminology for that, but they get comfortable. They reach the point. Then they don't want to try new things. And they went from growth mindset to fixed. And this is where you got to say, I've got to move the needle here and we're going to throw some money at this one and pay X for some little contest. But it's going to drive activity, and that's what you really want. So do salespeople get to a place, is this a common thing, where they're making enough or so much that that they just kind of coast? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the 300 hitter in baseball. 
You know, they don't turn into the 390 hitter, the 300, right? Or 280 is a 280. It's the same is true with income. So if the sales rep, I mean, I, I remember uh, speaking about me is like coming from poverty, which I was, like, you know, when you're working a few hours as a janitor and doing mission work, is, you know, below the poverty line was my income. When I hit like 60 grand, it was like, oh my God, this is crazy. This, this is so much money. Then it was like, I wonder if I could hit like 80 or whatever. Then I reached the level, right? When I reached the level, I won't give what that is. It just, it's like I look back at my income and this is true down the road with all sales reps. It's like you're a hundred thousand dollars, maybe 110. You're 150, maybe 140, maybe 160, but it is amazing where people settle what their mindset believes that they're worth. So, yeah, we all deal with that. It's, you know, there's a few that can say, I'm going to be worth a million dollars a year. And those people are special, right? So, how do they break through that? If they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and, and I, I want to be more, but I'm just, you know, stuck, mentally stuck at, at that level. How do they break through and get to that next level? Yeah, it it's not easy. So first of all, I do, I'm not sure. At, when we look at people that are doing that, and I'm trying to think back of the conversations I've had over the years. And you've got to have people that really have a growth mindset. If they don't have it, if they're not... So here, let me, I'll put a backtrack. Is the person a reader? Does the person do self-improvement videos and podcasts? If the answer is no, don't expect that you're going to move mountains with that person, right? Because they have to want to be better. And what happens a lot in sales, people reach a level and then they say things like, I know what I'm doing. I can coast. And when they're in that level, it's not like you want to get rid of them. Because it's like, hey, they're bringing in whatever that number of revenue is. It may frustrate you as an entrepreneur because they could do so much more. But if you, you know, if you, they're not doing what you do as far as self-improvement, being better, then you, it's unlikely you're going to move the needle with them until they start, yeah. right? You share articles, you share videos, you do things with a team. I mean, I'm constantly showing, you know, motivation, you know, the, I'm talking about the value of podcasts, books I read. And people look at me a lot of times in sales. It's like, I don't have time for that. Where do you find the time? It's like, <laughs> get up early. I hear that all the time. Shut off Netflix, right? Stop watching sports all weekend. Yes. There's so much time. And, you know, what's what's 15 minutes a day where for a little self-improvement to give you a different outlook on things. So, yeah, that's you know, it's is do you throw fertilizer on a field that is full of sand? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think people look at that a lot of times and Netflix is only $20 a month, but, but I think for mo many, many people, it's actually costing them 50 or a hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh yeah. And it's because they're, they're doing that instead of really filling their head with something that's going to make such a difference in their lives. Yeah. So how about audible? Yeah, All the time. Right. I do that right. constantly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, not audible. If I, 
I'm telling you, if I heard someone say Audible is too much, I don't want to spend $15 a month on books. It's like, how much do you spend on cable? Right. Give me a break. What is going to make (laughs) you so much better in all aspects of your life? And you don't, uh, anyway, you you know where I am on that one. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, where can people learn more about you and Selling with Dignity online? Yeah, sellingwithdignity.com is the place. If they want to uh, download a few chapters of the book, they could do that. But uh, yeah, feel free to visit me. also on LinkedIn, but yeah, you Google selling with dignity, you will find Harry Spade. So this has been a real honor, Jeff, and uh, great questions really got me thinking here today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on the show. You got it, man. Thanks again, Harry, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Harry at sellingwithdignity.com. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Lots of great content there, full podcast episodes as well. Please subscribe and follow us there. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a back-to-school time machine, allowing you to go back to the exact moment you maybe forgot your homework, your locker combination, wandered into the wrong classroom, or, I don't know, maybe forgot your pants. Not batteries, not included with the time machine. But what is included is another episode next Tuesday where we have founder Bish Smear, founder and CEO of Enigmatic Smile. It's a fintech that has cracked the code on customer loyalty programs that, you know, actually create loyalty. Can't tell you, I don't need another card or another 10 apps on my phone. Uh, He's got a great thing for loyalty and it is spreading like wildfire. And on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series next Thursday, Dan Radu, who leads strategy operations and marketing execution for global marketing teams. Companies come to Dan and his team when they want to make better data-driven decisions or need help scaling their global marketing operations. Sounds pretty good. So I will see you next time. And as always, make sure you're in the right classroom and enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.